Hello and welcome to the NZX podcast, the perfect place to learn about the New Zealand equity markets, global dairy markets and ESG. Welcome to the NZX ESG Jam Session podcast. I'm super excited about my guest today. I'm speaking with Naomi James, who is the CEO for Refining New Zealand. Welcome, Naomi. How are you? I'm really well, Julia. Yeah, it's good to be here with you. The reason I wanted to talk to you is I know that you've got some exciting transitional aspirational and amazing things going on, but also they probably bring some huge leadership challenges. But first to start with, you have a cool background. I am a huge fan already after stalking you online. Can you talk us through where you come from and what your background is? Yeah, absolutely. So I've got a Aussie dad and a New Zealand mum. I grew up in in Australia, but I have a lot of family here as well. My mum comes from the Canterbury Plains. So my career actually started in law. I originally trained as a lawyer, but quite quickly shifted into commercial and business roles and went into originally uh, steel and iron ore, almost by chance, uh, but found I really loved manufacturing and commodity businesses, love markets, love businesses where competition's critical, which is what commodities are sort of all about. My career really went from there and progressively did sort of more commercial roles, more business roles from uh, steel and iron ore then into oil and gas in Australia. And then last year ended up living in New Zealand for the first time in refining. That's an incredible background. And I know when we were talking off air before, you talked about the reality of those sectors, that they're community-based, that it is what it is, and just that real sense of passion that you have for it is just so cool. Yeah, these sorts of, you know, manufacturing resource businesses, they're really big employers. They're often in the regions and they're often one of the kind in an area or in a in a country like we are here in New Zealand. And so so they're quite unique for all of those reasons you say. Now talk us through what's happening with refining New Zealand. You know, you've come in, you've got beautiful foresight, but you've kind of got this transition happening. Do you want to talk us through what that transition might look like? Yeah, so we've been through a real process over over the last year to work out what is the best future for the company um, and business and one that's going to be sustainable over a long period of time. And so that in the first stage involved really looking at all the options for the business, whether, you know, we could get a local refinery to work in some shape or form, uh, as well as what the alternative looked like, and then progressively working through those options, engaging with a really broad range of stakeholders to make sure we were coming up with the best options. And from there, um, what were all the different things that needed to actually come together? So customers have been a big part. You know, we, we serve our free oil company customers, understanding what they were wanting and needed in their business, talking a lot with government because we are the only refinery uh, here and, and we have a lot of history as a company with government and understanding what they uh, what was important for them, as well as our employees, as well as our suppliers, our community, all of the other people in the region and things like that. And so last year uh, what we did was simplify our operations which really provided us with the time and space to prepare and get ready for the bigger change. And now, having done that, we are getting ready for that bigger change, which is a shift from locally refining, from bringing crude oil into New Zealand, refining it at Marsden Point, to bringing in already refined 
fuel, but still using all of the infrastructure that we have in our company to get that to where it needs is needed in the north part of New Zealand. And I believe that's going to significantly reduce your carbon emissions as well by doing that. It will, yeah. So we go from uh, having a bit over a million tonnes a year of scope one and two uh, direct emissions uh, to almost nothing, just really our emissions in our electricity that we will still need to use. Now, obviously, the product's still being refined somewhere else in the world, but it is a it is a reduction for uh, New Zealand. And we still hang on to the thing that is already a really efficient part of our assets, which is our pipeline into Auckland, uh, where we're getting fuel to customers, to market, um, in a way that is really low emission intensity compared with uh, trucking it and and things like that around the country. Mm. And look, I think we, as a country, we probably need to have some maturity around these conversations in the sense that it's great to have these idealistic aspirations, but there are still needs. We still do need to run transport. We still have communities reliant on these things. We can't just turn a switch off, you know, and we need to make sure that we can, I guess, have a long-term perspective to change, but we don't want to be, you know, we can't stop communities driving. We can't stop people getting to work. We can't just switch our fuel off straight away. It's many, many years ahead, right? That's right. That's right. And one of the problems at the moment is that we are focused on the supply side and a bit of a simplistic view that sort of goes something like oil and gas, old industries, bad, you know, so we've got to get rid of them. But we look around ourselves, the rooms we're sitting in, everything around us relies on on those things, Uh, whether it's your transport, how you move around, the fact the food's in the shop when you go to the shop, uh, through to your phone, your clothes, everything around you literally has has got that content in it. And so some of what's happening at the moment, just by focusing sort of on, on the supply side rather than the change that needs to occur, it's actually likely to drive costs up by making it harder for some of those companies who are supplying those things we are needing and using today and reduce transparency and reduce the ability of capital markets to actually influence the change because more and more you you will see those assets going into private ownership. And so I think there is a bit of a need for a shift, as you say, to make the focus actually be on attracting investment into uh, the companies that are going to be a part of making the change that's required. And so for our business, we're absolutely going to be one of those businesses. Today, our infrastructure is transporting all of that fuel that we need that moves things all around the country that will continue to be required. If you take aviation as an example, we know long-haul aviation, which makes up the vast majority of of jet fuel demand, is going to need a liquid fuel solution long-term. That's not going to change unless we're going to lock ourselves off from the rest of the world somehow. And that's also tourism is also our big, one of our, in normal times, one of our biggest industries as a country. And so it's actually critical for our country to find a solution and a way to either produce here or to import sustainable aviation fuel. And so we really view our infrastructure and the role we can play in that as, as really important because whether it's making it at Marsden Point, importing it into Marsden Point, getting it down our pipeline to Auckland 
international airport, which is which yep. is where most of the fuel goes, that's still going to be needed in 2050. And actually, it's going to be needed in a much greater volume than it is today because of the rate at which things just grow over time and are growing at the moment. Oh, absolutely. And even if we put the human factor aside, we export. We're an export-led country. We need to get that's food right. out. You know, in particular, not just food, sorry, but other exports out. And whether it's be shipping or planes, this is a really critical part of our income. What I hear you saying, which I think is so cool, is it's keeping that income, but at the same time is doing it in a way that actually supports progress in the future. Yes. And look, huge credit to you, but I imagine this is quite difficult. What's the leadership Juni look like for you through this? What have been the challenges in leadership? Because I, I don't even know where to start to ask you a question on that, really. I just think when I think of the leadership, it's massive. So many diverse stakeholders. How are you doing it? Where did you start? Yeah, so I guess starting with, um, just for me personally, I love change situations. So I, I choose to come and do jobs like this. I should say I didn't anticipate COVID, so that was kind of an added degree of difficulty. But you know what? We deal with what comes along. That's just um, life. And part of the reason I love change situations is because I think when there's an imperative to change, you get to really test what is possible. And it forces people and it forces organisations to test what is their true potential and bring their best game to it. And I find that just so exciting and fulfilling personally to be in situations where that's happening. I'm a big uh, believer in, I don't know if you've, you've heard or talked about the Stockdale paradox before. Jim Stockdale was this uh, US Navy admiral. He was in prison for seven years yep. in the Vietnam War. Um, he was tortured and out of it he came and wrote a whole heap of stuff in, in sort of the management space and then this got repeated in Jim Collins' Good to Great book and, and that's what, it's sort of what it became known from. But his paradox was that this concept that you have to confront the brutal reality the brutal facts of the situation you're facing while at the same time maintaining an unwavering belief that you will prevail. And it's how do you do both those things at the same time? And the thing I've I've always thought is really interesting is that is actually exactly what drives high performance uh, in people and individuals in organisations. It's the combination of having an overly optimistic belief in your ability to achieve things, but combining it with having a fully realistic view and understanding of what it's going to take. And so you need the aspiration and then you've got to actually what is this going to take to be able to get the right plan and then execute on that plan. And so that's in effect, that's what I love about these situations. You've got to do those two things. You get to see people and individuals and organisations through incredibly difficult times at their absolute best. You see the worst of it as well and you you need to deal with those things as they come along. But, yeah, personally I, I really enjoy that, being a part of teams when we're doing that. Have there been any particular challenges through this or I guess awesome surprises, I guess either side, challenges or like, wow, that I didn't see that coming but it was a good thing? But a serendipitous stuff happened? Yeah, um, and it, in a way it's not um, surprising because I've seen it before, but people always surprise me on the upside. 
in these situations. So we've got obviously in our business, our side at the moment, really significant change, life-changing change ahead for our staff, for our workforce. And you just see people do the most extraordinary things to look after each other, to help the company, and you just go, wow, what a person, what a depth of character and integrity and just commitment that individual did and courage to go and do that at this point in time. And um, it's inspiring being around that stuff and seeing it day to day. So, you know, it's it's not to say it's not challenging because it is. Yeah. Um, and it's not to say there's not days when when that's difficult because it is difficult for all of the people up here to get ready for the change we have, have ahead. But change can be good because it forces us to think about things differently and do things differently. And and for the same reasons, not changing can be bad because we stay very comfortable and connected with the status quo and life's nice and comfortable when we do that, but we just don't necessarily live to um, see everything that's possible. Yeah, look, I, I love change um, myself. However, I think change is very much a muscle, isn't it? And I think when you have none for a long period of time, um, your muscle gets very soft and it doesn't quite, it's not able to be as agile and it's not mm. as flexible. And so these sorts of changes, you know, if you can actually support people, it will actually help people a lot in the future. Look, we, we talked before about community, you know, off here, but I, you know, I was fascinated to hear that you've got generations of people working for you, that, you know, this is a really important part of the community. And how are you dealing with that as far as, well, for you personally, because, you're a, le- a people leader, you care about your people, but how is the community coping with the potential changes for the future? The key, I think, in, in any change is getting ready before you need to make the change. And so for us, that has been about a really, over a long period of time, talking about what's happening. And so uh, communicating, you know, here's the challenges, here's the things we're trying to solve, here's what we're working through, and then really regularly talking about where we're up to, involving people in the parts that is of interest to them as well as where they can help. And so last year before we went through our simplification changes, we got together a group up here in Northland, uh, the Northland Refinery Transition Working Group, it's called. We got all the people in the room that we thought needed to be a part of both being aware of what was changing for us, but also helping us because we needed some help from others. And we were going to have impact. What we were doing was going to have impact on others. So we wanted them to be a part of it. So they were preparing as well. And so that group has everyone from, you know, central government, local regional economic development body, the local councils through to EWE and our unions and things like that. But bringing people together to, first of all, talk about the change that's coming, why it's needed and what it's going to mean. And then, okay. Now we understand it. We understand why. Let's talk about how to do this and what it's going to involve and what it's going to require of all of us to make it a good transition because that's what we've got choice in. While while we may not have been able to find a way to get a refinery to work in New Zealand, we've got a whole heap of choice about how we go through this transition and what are the outcomes and impacts for people in our community. That's where we choose to uh, be intentional about that and work with others around us and help to encourage them as well to be proactive, think about it, don't just let change happen to you, 
but choose to actually embrace it and work, walk through it in, in the way you want to walk through it and go about it. In the timelines, is it, is it about three years? Yeah. So at the moment, what we're working towards is a, a final decision point around the end of September this year. And that would mean we would transition to import terminal operations around by about the middle of next year. And then there would be further work to go after a couple of years decommissioning the refinery. So, so that's sort of that time frame over which we, we go from the sort of business we are today, a, a large you know, manufacturing and infrastructure business, to, to a very different one where we are still on, a, on the same site, operating at some of the same assets, but really an infrastructure company rather than a, a manufacturing and commodities company. Awesome. And with that... Does that future-proof you more? So what other opportunities will come with becoming an infrastructure-type company? Yeah, so so I, th- I think that we've got a really strong starting base there where we've got critical infrastructure. It's needed today. It's going to be needed long-term. So that sets us up really well. But we also think there's uh, some really good opportunities for growth as well. So first of all, up here at the Marsden Point site, we're lucky to have this deep water harbour to, as a site, have import and export capacity with our jetties. We're a large industrial site. We have long-term consents. We've got 35-year resource consents on this site to operate. We've got large electricity and gas connections. And today, we've got a really highly skilled, capable workforce. The transition to import terminal will require about 35% of our site, of our land up here, and about 25% of our tank capacity. There's a lot else uh, that we could be doing on this site in the future. And so we're really keen to explore what else can happen up here and, and how do we bring other opportunities into the region, use all of these capabilities we have at this site and create jobs, create economic activity. And with that, uh, returns for our shareholders. The other really great opportunity we see for growth in our business is that there is other transport fuel around New Zealand, fuel infrastructure around New Zealand, not just the ones that uh, that we own today. New Zealand's a small country. It's geographically diverse population. And so it makes sense that we share infrastructure, not that everyone owns their own uh, all around the country. Um, And so, you know, we really see our role as a really capable operator, you know, operating this sort of infrastructure safely, reliably, at low cost for multiple customers. And as an infrastructure business, having a lower cost of capital than our customers as something that can be applied across a much broader range of assets across the country. So they're the two things where we see there'll be opportunity uh, for growth for us ahead. Here and now, we're really focused on what we need to do with our with our current business and our current operations. But in the coming years, we definitely think there will be more ahead for, for channel infrastructure to go after. It sounds to me too like you were setting a foundation for and like nobody knows what the future looks like, right? That's why I was I laugh a little bit when people kind of look at it. It's really hard to plan now. Well, I don't think it's ever been easy. I just think we've had this great sort of Disneyland type of approach to thinking that we knew exactly what was going to happen tomorrow. But what I'm hearing is this great foundation that will be set that this will provide huge diverse opportunities, whether it be just with the use of your land or your infrastructure for whatever the changes ahead are. Absolutely, yeah. And and actually, when you look at the some of the challenges we've got to solve in the changes ahead, 
our infrastructure and our capabilities are really ideally suited. So the reason we use fossil fuels and we use them so predominantly across the world for a range of purposes is they are really energy rich, they are easy to transport, low cost to extract, and you can store them so you can use them when you need them. As we make this shift to renewable sources of energy and and that, we've got to solve these challenges. And so if you think about, you know, biofuels, fossil fuels are just the organic matter of hundreds of millions of years ago. So it's literally the dinosaurs and the plants from that time baked under the surface of the earth for hundreds of millions of years to a point that they are super energy rich. When we move to using today's organic material, which is what biofuels is about, you need so much more of it to get the same energy content. And so you've got this feedstock question, and then how do I get enough access to feedstock, produce the fuel, get it to market? If you look at electricity, we have to overbuild renewable capacity renewable electricity capacity, because renewable energy is variable. Sun doesn't always shine, wind doesn't always blow, rain doesn't always come when it's supposed to. And so we've got to find ways to store and dispatch electricity and overbuild our renewable capacity. And green hydrogen, very connected, what do you need? Lots of electricity, lots of water, and you need it at low cost because you need lots and lots of it. So Whether we're able to competitively do all those things in New Zealand or we are importing those things from other places, we're close to the biggest population base in the country. We have all these attributes as a site, whether it's imports, manufacturing, storage, connections, electricity, gas, distribution to market. They're all things that we, you know, we do today and we've got those capabilities. And so we think we're really well placed to be a part of as we work through how we're going to solve those questions, because they're not they're not easy questions to solve. They're going to take us some time to work out how we're going to get it right, but to be a part of the solution. And you did right. Like you can't, you know, it worries me that we got this whole switch on and off thing going on in our mind. And as you say, and it's not a question we have to answer, it's multiple complex questions that some might be questioned, answered in five years, some might take 50. Those questions might change over time. But, you know, when, when you think of a, a community that might have diesel generators that support the community when there's power breaks, you know, you think of Southland in the middle of the snow when, you know, they they rely upon these things that if there's a terrible snowstorm, it knocks power out for a number of days. These Mm -hmm. diesel generators are, you know, I think it worries me that we've got so binary and we've got so much focus on it's good or it's bad. We've actually forgotten about aspiration. You, You know, you put this in my head before, the aspiration versus execution. And we've got to take people with us. We've got to take our communities with us and, so inspiring to hear you talk about bringing communities together, bringing partnerships together, and I'm just fascinated by this boat, to be honest. I think it's cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, when we step back from what's going on, this is the biggest, I believe, this is the biggest change since the Industrial Revolution, what's occurring right now. And so, and that's when urbanisation originally occurred and and life as we know it really developed and led to globalisation and all of that. And so, And and that was actually originally facilitated by fossil fuels. That's what brought the way we live today together. And so it's in a really exciting time 
to be living through, but also to be part of industries like this who are going to play the critical role in working out how we make the change. Now, the change is technically possible. We know how to make biofuels technically. We know how to produce hydrogen. We know how electric vehicles work. The challenge is an economic one and a social one because it involves significant change in how people live as well as just the affordability of this. And so how do we go through this sort of change and make it affordable? Because otherwise we can't make it happen. We can't just double the costs for people of electricity and transport and people just can't afford it. So we've actually got to tackle the economic one to do this in a way that we will actually sustain the journey and be able to get through this together. And so because of that, it's not something that people are going to solve on their own or individual companies are going to solve on their own. And they won't necessarily have the incentive to do that. It actually means we've got to come together, work together, government, industries, communities, to come up with a plan to make the choices we need to make and then to get after it. And like you said before, actually look at the reality of it. Like, it's, mm. look, I, I see the world through the rainbows myself mostly, but I will bring in the reality reality hammer when needed. And I think that's probably the one thing that might be, I feel, my view, is missing in New Zealand right now, that we are really good at reporting what we think we might do. We're not so great at execution and, and we just need that reality hammer to come in. It's big, complex problems that we will solve with others as a unit together not by complaining about what might happen or what we can't do. Absolutely. And if you go back to that that Stockdale principle, you've got to be prepared to confront the reality but maintain the belief because the reality, confronting the reality is hard and frightening and so we've got to, but we've got to have the courage to do that to then work out what we can do, what we can make happen and the belief we will be able to do that and make those changes that we need to make. So, Naomi, any sort of last thoughts for listeners? Are any key messages you want to get out there? I think we've talked about a, a, a lot, Julia. I, I'm really privileged to be leading this company through this time. It, it is a time of really significant change. We have a really unique set of assets, infrastructure that's critical for New Zealand today and is just going to continue to be into the future. We've got this opportunity to play a central role through this time, but changes the change is significant. And so having a really planned approach to how we go through it is the key to getting it right and and the big focus for us right now with where we're at in our journey. Thank you so much for your time. This is um this won't be the last time I talk to you because I literally I know I'm gonna process this and I'm gonna I'm gonna end up having a zillion more questions and I'm gonna need to talk to you again. I'm gonna need to just stalk you down in Auckland. I'm just so grateful for your time. Thank you so much. Anytime. No thanks for having me Julia. It's been really great to catch up. Thanks for listening to the NZX podcast. Tune in to further episodes by subscribing to our channel and let us know what you want to know more about by emailing us at podcast at nzx.com. We would love to hear from you. Until then, catch you next time. The information provided in this podcast is guidance only and intended for general information purposes. It does not constitute investment advice. NZX Limited disclaims all liability for any error, inaccuracy or omission or for any loss suffered through relying on this podcast. Proprietary rights of the podcast are owned or licensed by NZX and no part of this information may be redistributed or reproduced in any forms or by any means without the written consent of NZX.